right, time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. Okay, let's start with the Daryl Plekka stuff because there's a lot of discussion about this in the news this morning. Uh, Very interesting for his take on the Craig James verdict. Yeah, so he's feeling vindicated, and I think that's understandable. He... If he hadn't blown the whistle on the culture of entitlement at the legislature, I don't think we, Craig James might still be the clerk of the place. So, you know, that's uh, on his side. Um, I guess the part that he doesn't really want to talk about very much is, I think he overreached himself when he was originally blowing the whistle. He suggested a whole bunch of people were going to be going to jail. He and Alan Mullen, his chief of staff, both suggested that. So, you know, he very defensive about that. He's He pushes back against the suggestion that he could have handled things differently. And uh, there's a lot of room for recrimination around that. But look, I think the, the bottom line on all this is there was a significant verdict of guilty in the court against Craig James. Uh, what came out uh, was sufficient, in my view, to destroy James's reputation. And if Plekis hadn't blown the whistle, none of that would have happened. Um, The other part of the story, uh, I think the mood around the legislature is a lot better with the departure of Daryl Plekis. A lot of staff there felt that they were accused of corruption by him, whether they were or not. Um, They didn't like working for him and his chief of staff. But, um, you know, going forward again, I thought the new speaker, who is widely regarded around the place, uh, came out with a very good statement saying uh, this isn't likely to happen again because there are a lot of controls in place. Well, those controls were partly the result of the Auditor General who left a long time ago, John Doyle, but they are also a result of the whistleblowing that uh, Plekis did. He said a couple of things that I think the legislature, uh, the parties in the legislature ought to reflect on. Uh, Plekis said he still thinks that freedom of information, access to information law should apply to the legislature. I, I think he's got a point about that. The public may be surprised to discover that it doesn't. And the other thing he said uh, is whistleblower protection. So the province is developing whistleblower protection law. Uh, that should apply at the legislature as well in case another whistleblower comes along who isn't, who doesn't have the power of the Speaker of the House. Right. And just very quickly, let's just hear what he had to say on this whole topic of whistleblowers. In my case, I, I couldn't even go to the Auditor General. I couldn't go to the police at the ledge. I couldn't get people, uh, uh, some elected officials to listen because, as you know, they were yelling and screaming, stop this nonsense. Okay, so that's Daryl Plekis. He was speaking with our colleague Jess Hall yesterday afternoon. So I think you're right, Vaughn, in that when you say a lot of people would be surprised that you're talking about somebody who seems to have a lot of power, the Speaker of the legislature didn't know where to go when he saw wrongdoing. Yeah, he he does have a lot of power. The one thing I would say, too, um, he acts like he was. it was lonely Daryl Plekis against the whole world. The fact is that the New Democrats and the Greens, the Green leader, Andrew Weaver, supported Plekis in what he was doing. They knew very well that they would not have had such an easy time forming government and having a majority in the House if Plekis had not agreed to leave the Liberals and serve as their speaker. So, you know, they may have had some reservations about some of the things he was doing, but 
he was never seriously blocked or challenged by the New Democrats, by the government of the day, because they liked what he was doing. Yeah, the liberals squawked. A lot of good it did them. Uh, it, it, they squawked in part because, yeah, this is forgotten maybe, but Craig James became clerk of the legislature in an unprecedented way. He was chosen by majority vote of the B.C. Liberals. He was their choice for clerk. The New Democrats opposed it. Every other previous clerk of the legislature in modern times was chosen by unanimous vote by support of all the parties in the House for good reason, because the clerk was the servant of all the parties in the House. So from the very beginning of James's appointment, it was tainted with politics. And I think that's why there were a lot of New Democrats that were not unhappy to see what happened to Craig James. That doesn't mean it wasn't warranted, but to some degree, Daryl Plekis was doing something that the New Democrats quietly welcomed. Interesting. Okay, let's also talk about uh, these urgent uh, primary care centers. This was a real cornerstone, I think, for Health Minister Adrian Dix, even pre-COVID, about opening these up, originally intended to take some of the the load off of emergency rooms. Yeah, this is, this is the future of primary care in British Columbia, according to Adrian Dix, John Horgan. Every time you ask them about the shortage of family doctors, they say, look, we're struggling with it, but in the long run, your local urgent and primary care center is going to be your substitute for everybody who need who doesn't have a family doctor. Yes, you'll still need family doctors, but this is the backup. This is the system where you'll access the system. And they've repeatedly said this, but last week, uh, the BC Liberals, on material they had obtained from the government under access to information, so from the health ministry, came out with you know, the dark underside of this. These centers are open all over British Columbia, Simi, but they're chronically understaffed. It's no wonder that when people go to these places, they have signs on the door saying, you know, the waiting list is ours or we're not taking any more patients today. I mean, I'll give you two examples out of the data, and this I emphasize is government data. So let's take Richmond. So Richmond switched to the NDP in the last election. Now three NDP MLAs. So your local NDP MLA in Richmond tells you, go to the urgent primary care center that we opened out there. Yeah, so Richmond, it's been open for three years. The government has funded it for 32 full-time doctors. It currently has precisely one doctor. What? That's the Richmond Primary Care Center. Here's another one. This one's fascinating. I mean, you can, you can shake off the idea that this is just the government not dealing with, in, with uh, uh, liberal writings. Um, here's the one. The West Shore Urgent Primary Care Center. Uh, the local MLA is a fellow named John Horgan. It has funding, again, commended the government. It's well-funded, enough funding for seven full-time doctors. Again, it has precisely one. So the, the centers are, they're a great concept, and in the long run, they may be the answer. But across the province, they are, when you average it out, right across all the government data, um, maybe 50% 
level of staffing that they're funded for, and it varies widely. Uh, some have nurse practitioners, some don't have enough, and many of them, many of them are shortage of doctors. Probably isn't surprising given that we have an overall shortage of doctors in the province. Right. But, but still, uh, and it was interesting to hear Dix's response on this because Adrian Dix is the master of data, right? One of the reasons the opposition finds it frustrating to deal with him is because he does have a lot of the data at his fingertips, and he's very good at using it. But in this case, right, he's been avoiding this question. The health ministry's been avoiding this question for some time. We have a colleague who's been trying to get this stuff for weeks. Uh, so the liberals finally got their hand on it. It is not flattering to the uh, government's initiative. Well, I guess I'm curious about then what's happening with all that money. If they're funding it for a certain level and that's not being paid out, what, what's happening? Well, that's a very good question, Simi, and I think that's a subject for further inquiry. But I'll give you one example. The government has been quietly, or not so quietly, they've been putting out press releases saying they're bringing back into government all of the jobs that were privatized under the B.C. Liberals. So these are cleaner jobs, food services jobs, all that sort of thing, janitorial, in the healthcare system. The Liberals pushed it all out the door to private companies. Uh, the private companies, of course, didn't pay as well or provide the same level of benefits. New Democrats are bringing them back. Now, you can go through all of those press releases, as I have done, and try to find out what it's costing. You know if they're bringing people back into government at better pay and better benefits, there's a cost, right? But they're not telling you what it is. So it's, I'm guessing, that kind of thing. Either the money is there in the budget and it's not being spent because there's nobody to get the paychecks, mm -hmm. or they're spending it on other stuff. But, you know, it's a work in progress. But again, some of these centers have been open for several years. This initiative goes back now four years. Uh, the Richmond one's a good example. Being there for three years, 32 doctors in the budget, one in reality. That is craziness. All right, Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Sim.